Welcome to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast, where you will find sermons, devotional thoughts, and current event conversations, all based on a biblical worldview. Happy Sabbath, Church. It's good to be back. Uh, My family and I dealt with COVID for the second time. This time was a lot milder, but nevertheless, it had us out a couple of weeks, and it's good to be back. We're going, we're not going to have any PowerPoint. We're going to look at Jesus. But we're going to look at Jesus perhaps from a different perspective, perhaps from a different way that we haven't looked at him in the past. Hopefully all of us here can say that we love Jesus. We preach Jesus. And, um, and we want others, we teach, hold on. We love Jesus, we preach Jesus, we teach Jesus, and we want others to know about Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself has told us in John 12, 32, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. So there is something about Jesus, the name of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the life of Jesus that attracts people to him. It's a natural attraction if we allow it. But there are many things in life that distract us from Jesus. Careers, relationships, fame, money, entertainment, music, whatever it is, there are things in our life that distract us from Jesus. Sometimes even religion can distract us from Jesus. Yet overall, many people, religious or not, will tell you that they love Jesus but do not love his followers. Muhammad Gandhi said, I like your Christ, but not your Christianity. We, meaning Christians of all faith, including our own, have given Jesus at times a bad rap. Many people want to know him. Jesus himself warned us about giving him a bad rap when in Matthew 18, 16, he says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned into the depths of the sea. Now, if you look at that verse and take it for what it is saying, it doesn't sound very Jesus-like, right? The Jesus that people have pictured in in their mind full of mercy and grace can be very direct when he needs to be. And so I'll read it again. In Matthew 18, 16, he says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, in other words, if you lead somebody astray, it's not just talking about little kids, but those who are new in the faith. If you lead one of these to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and were drowned in the depths of the sea. How many of us can survive having a millstone wrapped around our necks and dropped in the midst of the sea. In other words, what Jesus is saying is don't mess with somebody who is hungering for the truth of Jesus Christ, for the truth of eternal life. And this is our Jesus, meek and mild, saying these very words in Scripture. Jesus, mind you, is universally loved even though he may not be well understood by everyone. The three major monotheistic religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, all have this in common. Listen, during a time of trouble that is yet to come, 
their Messiah will come and save the day. So think about it. The three monotheistic religions, when they all believe that there is a time of trouble coming and that their hero, their Messiah, is coming to save the day. Now, for Judaism, they don't believe in the name Jesus directly, but they themselves, after this time of trouble, are waiting for the Messiah, who you and I know to be Jesus Christ. Christianity, after this time of trouble, is waiting for none other than Jesus Christ. Where a lot of people don't understand is that the second biggest religion, Islam, in the world, is known for its prophet being who? Muhammad. However, in their teachings in the Quran, after this time of trouble, it is not Muhammad that is coming, but it is Esau who is coming to save the day. Well, if you know anything about Islam, who is Esau? Jesus Christ. So the three monotheistic religions have Jesus coming back. Now, Judaism doesn't recognize him as Jesus yet, but when the false Messiah shows up impersonating Christ as an angel of light, they have all that in common that a time of trouble has passed and now our Redeemer has come. And they will accept that then. But what about the two largest polytheistic religions? Buddhism and Hinduism. They too believe that a God will come after a time of trouble. But listen to what they say about Buddhism. Just as Jews recognize the coming of a Messiah in the Old Testament writings, Buddhists read the appearance of Buddha as a matriya. How do you pronounce that? Maitreya, thank you in many Sanskrit texts, often referred to him as the prophesied Bhagwa Maitreya, both recognize, both Buddhism and Old Testament, I mean, and yeah, the Old Testament, both recognize Jesus to be the fulfillment of the Messiah Maitreya prophecy. So in other words, Buddhism, some parts of Buddhism believe that Jesus was the fulfillment of what they've been looking for, and that a God will come after a time of trouble. So if Jesus shows up after a time of trouble, they will accept them. Everybody is ripe for this deception. What about Hinduism? Hinduism religious and political leaders view Jesus as a spiritual teacher. Hindus often worship many gods and goddesses, and some are eager to include Jesus in their list of deities, those for most he is a irrelevant to their faith. So picture with me this scenario, right? There's a time of trouble. Humanity is grasping and, and wanting and longing for somebody to save them. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up in the sky trying to unite all these faiths who have been looking for him in the first place. And he will show up in different cities and in different parts of the world saying, I am he. But that's why we need to know Jesus of the Bible and not Jesus of our imagination or of our liking. It is ripe for deception. The world is ripe for deception and that's why we need to know the Jesus of Scripture. But everybody has an opinion of Jesus. 
So let us look at Jesus from different perspectives in the Bible and not just one story and see what we can glean from it. One, he was a powerful spiritual teacher. Yes or no? Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. Consider the greatest sermon ever spoken. We're going to read a couple of verses. We're all familiar with it. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 1, it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he said this, Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. And then he says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This week's lesson talked about trials. How many of us like to be persecuted? None of us, right? And yet Jesus says there is a, that you are to be rejoice and be exceedingly glad because they persecuted the prophets before you. Now this sermon is used in a TV show called The Chosen. And I like what it said in The Chosen. That if you want to find Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount is a road map for you will find Jesus in the midst of people who are merciful, who mourn, who are spiritual, who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And this sermon has so impacted the lives of so many people that if you turn to chapter 7 and verse 28 and 29, same book, Matthew chapter 7, 28 and 29, after the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says these words, or these words are written. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as having authority and not as their scribes. Amen. Think about what's going on today in society. It says they were amazed at his teaching. Because he was teaching as one who has authority. In other words, when you have authority, you tell it like it is. You make it black and white. You differentiate between right and wrong. Yet if you look at society today, we can't even agree on what is a woman. We cannot agree on genders. Now we're up to 57 plus. We cannot agree on a lot of things because truth today is relative. There is no authority. There is no soul truth. There is nothing that says this is the right way. Walk ye in it. But the Bible says, no, no, no. As a matter of fact, it's not the Bible. It's Jesus who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
There is no eternal life. There is no life without Jesus Christ. And the fact is that the problems we're having today with everybody having their own opinion of what is truth was the same thing that was happening back then as Solomon has told us there is nothing new under the sun. When you make it so vague, then you can make it say whatever you want it to say. But the Bible is clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And so Jesus was very authoritative, very spiritual. But then you go on the opposite end. Here he gives this powerful spiritual sermon at the beginning of his ministry, the Sermon of the Mount that has been resonating throughout history. It is prominent in Scripture. Yet when you go to the book of John early on in his ministry, he walks into the temple and just starts throwing things around and starts taking a cord of whips and starts cracking it and starts threatening the religious leaders, get out of my father's house where you and I are constantly trying to invite people in to our father's house. He has the authority to throw them out. Now let's be honest. We let him get away with this because it's Jesus. But if I did that, if I started flipping over these, what do you call these? Podiums or what's those things? Music stands and flipping over the, the thing, you would think I'm not in the spirit of God. That I've lost my mind. But this is Jesus we're talking about. But why did he do that? Well, for one, we can't pigeonhole Jesus into one characteristics of meek and mild. For he is also Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He is a God of love, but he's also a God of war. We can't recreate Jesus into our own image. We must let the word of God speak and describe Jesus. Why did he do that? Because we read earlier, it is better that you put a millstone around your neck and throw yourself in the depths of the sea than to use my father's house to discourage and turn people away from a faith-saving relationship in Jesus Christ. That's why everyone here is welcomed. Anyone of any persuasion of any gender is welcome in our church because it's not about us. It's about pointing them to the land of God that takes away the sins of the world. However, sometimes you have to stand up for what is right, for what Jesus would call and the Bible would call righteous indignation. But let's keep looking at the character of Jesus. And I'm just using Jesus story. In Matthew 15, 26, we're not going to go there, but he called the woman a dog. <laughs> Let me try to get away with that. But you have to understand the context. You have to understand what has happened. He saw in this woman faith that went beyond the faith of those around him. And he was tweaking her and pushing her buttons just to demonstrate to his disciples that no one is excluded from the kingdom of God. But sometimes today we live in a culture where everything offends everybody. 
We get so easily offended by everybody. But when you know you have something precious, there is nothing going to dissuade me from going after Jesus. Not now, at least. Perhaps there would have been a time in my life where I would have got offended by what somebody said to me at church or by what somebody said to me about the way I believed about something. But now that I have that great pearl, that great relationship with Jesus Christ, you can insult me all you want. Because my self-worth is not found in human words, but in the love of Jesus Christ. So teasing this woman, he called her a dog. And she said, I may be a dog, but you have what I need. And I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Amen. Remember what she said? Yes, master. Even the dogs eat from the crumbs of their master's table. And he knew then and there that nothing was going to stop her from the blessing she deserved. But today we get so easily offended. Politics, sports, music, gender. Let nothing dissuade you from the love of Christ. When you realize what you have, when you realize that he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, that all that you long for is in him, you can throw me in jail. You could throw away the key. You could starve me to the point of death. In him, I have eternal life. I have everything I need in Jesus Christ. So he calls a woman a dog. Then in Matthew 1.35, I mean, sorry, Mark 1.35, I want you to go there. Mark chapter 1. It's one of my favorite stories in a weird way. Mark chapter 1. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, everyone is what? Looking for you. In other words, if you read the chapter before, everyone was looking for him because the previous day he has spent the entire day either preaching or healing people. And many of us are sick among us. Many of us have been sick or have recuperated. Many of us go through trials. And all we long for is for Jesus' touch to get us through the trial, to get us healthy, to get us through the pain, to get us through the anguish. And we long for his healing touch. And so these people were no different. They, we shared the same humanity. And they're looking for him. Everyone is looking for you, he said. But look at his reply. He said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all of Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. In other words, those very people who were looking for him, who were waiting for a healing hand, who were waiting for a word of encouragement, he said, I'm sorry, I can't help you now. I must obey my father's will and go somewhere else. Now put yourself in the perspective of the people who weren't healed immediately at that point. How would you feel? 
He doesn't care for me. He doesn't like me. He's prejudiced. He abandoned us. But the reality is that we, you and I, and Jesus himself, we have to live a life that brings glory to God regardless of what the world around us thinks. Because everybody is not going to interpret your godly behavior the right way. Those people must have felt abandoned by God. Those people must have felt that God didn't care. Those people must have felt that Jesus was indifferent to their suffering. But the reality is that in the great plan of God, God had something better for them. Sometimes, listen, the solution and the answer to your prayer is not healing. Sometimes, the solution and the answer to your prayer is getting fired. Sometimes the solution and the answer to your prayer is losing that relationship. Sometimes what you think is negative may be the very refining fire, like the lesson said, that you need to perfect a character that will be in eternity with Jesus forever. Would you rather have riches and golds or gold and silver or would you rather have eternal life? Honestly, I'd rather have both. Job had it. Abraham had it. But you get the point, right? That in the end, we need to want Jesus more than anything else. So he left them without answering their questions as to why he didn't heal me. And just like in the lesson, Job never found out why he went through the drama he went through. But in the end, Job, my favorite phrase in Job he says, even though you kill me, in you will I trust. And then in Luke chapter 15, we're not going to go there. He goes mad looking for a lost coin. Right? The parable of the lost coin. The woman goes everywhere, looks, looks underneath, sweeps everything. And when she finally finds the coin, she rejoices. He looks tenderly after the lost sheep leaving behind the 99 in order to find that one sheep that has gone astray. And sometimes we share these stories about the lost coin and the lost sheep, and we think about how wonderful Jesus is, how he goes and looks and seeks and searches for the lost. But then we forget to look at the very next story, the prodigal son. The father didn't go anywhere. He didn't search after the son. He didn't even send a messenger after the son. In fact, he did nothing for the son except for hope that he would come back. Amen. So sometimes we wonder where Jesus is. How come he's not searching for me? How come he's not calling for me? Well, those three stories are back to back to illustrate three different characteristics or three different attitudes. The lost coin is inanimate. It did not know it was lost. It couldn't care whether or not it was found or not. And there are people in society like that who we have to some way, somehow reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The lost sheep knew they were lost, but had no way to come home. And so Jesus, leaving the 99 righteous behind, goes after the lost sheep. And I love the imagery that he puts the sheep on his shoulders and walks it all the way back because that sheep exhausted and tired from the beatdowns of life could not come home on their own. But then the prodigal son is totally different. When I left the church for 12 years, 
I knew eventually that it was me who left, not Jesus. And I knew exactly where I could find him if I wanted. And I found them in John 17, 17. Sanctify them by thy truth. Your word is truth. There are many of us who have or have had an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, who had known him but have walked away. It's not that he doesn't want to come after you. It's that he's too much of a gentleman to stalk you when you don't want him. But the cross is the proof that he's always waiting with open arms. That moment you take the step back to him, like the father and the prodigal son, like the song says, when I saw God run for the very first time, he ran to me and he held me and he loved me and he told me I was his own. And he brought me back into a faith-saving relationship. But he's not going to mince any words when you know that your father is waiting for you at home. Come home sometimes is the only invitation because you have demonstrated or we have demonstrated that we don't want him. But the door is always open to come home. He will never leave you nor forsake you. But he's going to deal with you faithfully and honestly. And so the invitation is always there. Come home. Come home. In John chapter 6, though, I want us to turn to that one. John chapter 6. Let me give you the context before we read the verse I want to read. Jesus was applying spiritual pressure to those listening. He wasn't mincing the gospel. He wasn't letting them off easy. He wasn't telling them their lives were right when in reality they were all wrong. He was being straight, honest, and truth because the word of God is a two-edged sword cutting down even to the marrow of our bones. So he was applying the pressure to them. The pressure, he kept applying. He kept telling them that unless you eat my flesh, you have no part with me. And so disturbing was this message that we read what happened in verse 60. Look what happened in verse 60. He says to them, therefore, well, this is what happened after his message. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and flesh profits nothing. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that one cannot come to me unless he has been granted him from the Father. Verse 66, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus wants you to walk away from him? He wants you to walk with him every step of the way until we come 
in glory and we get to see him face to face. But what this teaches us is that Jesus is going to tell you the truth. No matter how uncomfortable it makes you. Because what is the alternative? If he doesn't tell you the truth, then he is lying to you. And he is not a liar. And if he could lie, then a lie will not set you free. For only the truth shall set you free. And so sometimes you have to speak to people directly. Sometimes you have to tell them the truth whether they want to hear it or not. And not in a mean way, not in a sarcastic way, not in a taunting way, but in a way that says this is the truth. Walk in it. And that's why I like how Paul says, have I now become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Those who really love you will tell you the truth whether you want to hear it or not. And Jesus told them the truth, and they could not handle. And sadly, it says, and these disciples walked with him no more. What's the implication? They lost out on eternal life. And so Peter says these words in John chapter 6. He says, so Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And that is a question each of us has to settle in our hearts. If Jesus is not satisfying you, then trust me, it's not Jesus who's messing this up but you. Where will you go? To the world? To drugs? To music? To fame? To money? To power? Trust me, Jesus is not the cherry on top of your great life. Jesus is either the whole cake and the cherry, or he's none of it. And so Jesus himself would rather you walk away from him, crash and burn and become ice cold and return to him, than to stay in a lukewarm state thinking that you are fine with him. Jesus is not just who people say he is. He is what the entire word of God says he is. And then turn with me to Matthew 23. We're not going to look at the whole chapter, but just three verses of the chapter. Verse 15. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, Because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as yourself. Mercy. That doesn't sound like the loving Jesus we preach. Or people preach and teach. But what is he saying? These individuals, there are individuals in your life who have become so hardened to the Holy Spirit that direct words are not necessarily meant for them, for only the Holy Spirit can change them. But you might have to say those words to them simply because those around you need to see the gravity of the position they have put themselves in. Sometimes you preach not for the person listening, but for the persons around them. There was a crowd. And he's talking to the religious leaders. Now, here's the beauty of it. 
These words of Jesus are usually reserved for the religious leaders, the elders, the pastors, or so we think. It's actually reserved for anybody who is on their high horse spiritual pride. For pride sees no need of repentance. Pride sees no need of being humble. Pride sees no need of a multitude of counsel. Look at verse 27 and 28. Woe to you. By the way, this is the whole woe chapter. So we're not going to read the whole thing. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are all like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead bones and, and uncleanliness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocr hypocrisy and lawlessness. And nothing is as nasty as biting a white peach nectarine and finding out that it is rotten inside. Or to find out that the date you just opened up is full of mold and you just taste it. The outside looks good, but the inside is what? Rotten. And Jesus, right, we're learning about different aspects of Jesus. He's not afraid to call people out. He's not afraid to tell them because the truth and the truth alone will set you free. The truth, no matter how hard it is. That's why Paul, once again, I repeat, said, I, I now become your enemy because I tell you the truth. Peter, one of the famous or most you know, well-known apostles, Jesus actually called them Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. Then he pressed home to Peter in John 21, three times, he didn't let, let him off the hook. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, are you sure you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Like it wasn't bad enough, like Peter hadn't repented enough. He once again, Peter, are you sure you love me? And that's a repeated question he asks to each and everyone. Because we must demonstrate our love for Christ daily. Not on Sabbath, not once a week, not once a month, but daily. And how do we demonstrate that love? By spending time in his word, by praying, by sharing the gospel, and by living out Matthew 25, not consciously, but subconsciously, where it becomes natural to us. So in one instant, he calls him Satan. In the other instance, he's pressing to him to reaffirm, do you love me? But in between those things, Christ never left him nor forsake him. Christ kept molding him until the point where Peter can say, yes, Lord, I love you. Until the point where we know through history that Peter was willing to die for the cause of Christ. He will mold you. He will change you. He will correct you. He will prune you. He will cut the rough edges where he needs to. All because he wants to bring you home with him. We're wrapping up here. In Acts chapter 26. Let's go there. Acts chapter 26. We're, stick, we're still sticking to Jesus' words. Or words directly said about him in the gospel. Even in the book of Acts. Verse 14. The conversion of Saul. And when he had fallen... 
when, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads or the pricks, depending which version you have. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. There's only two walks of life here. You're either gathering with Jesus or you're persecuting Jesus. But Jesus loved Saul, a murderer of his own people so much that he caught his attention in a miraculous way. But we look at the conversion of Saul and we think, wow, happened in an instant. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit had been working on Saul from, from beyond the stoning of Stephen. And the Holy Spirit is working on your life to surrender until your last breath. And in that last breath, you would have either surrendered to Christ or you will continue to persecute Christ in your testimony of your life. So why is Jesus so wide of a spectrum? Calling people dogs, calling people hypocrites, healing, casting out demons, overturning tables, over, you know, crying out against the wicked, loving people, healing people, raising people from the dead. We see this wide spectrum. You know why? Because Jesus is in a personal relationship with you. And what makes me tick might be different than what makes you tick. And what drives you to Christ may be different than what drives her to Christ. Jesus is not a static teaching, but he's a personal relationship with you. And he knows you better than you know yourself. And he knows whether you need the silent treatment or a kick in the behind. He knows whether you need trials or whether you need peace. He knows whether you need a spouse or not a spouse. He knows whether you need children or not children. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows you so much that he will do whatever it takes to bring you home with him he's not a static god he's not an idol god he's not a wooden god he's a god of ultimate relationship and how he treats your kids will be different than how he treats you how he treats your spouse is different than how he treats your parents or your pastor or your elder why because he knows us intimately He knows where we have come. He knows where we are going. And he wants to bring each and every one home. And despite our shortcomings, despite our frailties, despite every time we have messed up, he still is the God who died for us. Who on the cross said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. But he's calling us home. And it may be a loss of job or getting fired. It may be a broken relationship. It may be the hardest trial you've ever gone through in your life. But Romans chapter 8 tells us when we get to glory, the trials behind us will seem like nothing. But for others, it may be prosperity. And that may be what exactly you need to bring you home. To bring you all the way into the kingdom. Because there are people who use their prosperity for the glory and honor of God. And they feel like Matthew 25. I really 
didn't feel like I was doing much. So what's your trial? What's your prosperity? Let us rejoice in how God treats us. Whether it's trials like Job or we never see death like John. Either way, he wants to bring you home. Let's surrender to him. And let's have this party in heaven one day. Never to be separated forevermore. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are so varied in your treatment of each and every one of us. That you care for us individually and you have a personal relationship with every one of us. And when we mess up, the cross is proof that you have forgiven us for our shortcomings. But Father, may we surrender to you every day. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast. You can find us at woodlandsadventist.org and you can visit us anytime. You're more than welcome. God bless you and have a great day.